The Life Series. Powered by Amicus. With your host, Heather Story. Hello and welcome back to the Live Series podcast brought to you by Amicus. This is the podcast that gives you insight into the life and role of tech leaders from all over the world. Today I'm joined by Andrea Perizzato, tech leader over at Finn. How are you doing, Andrea? Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really well. Thanks. Oh, brilliant. It looks like a nice day where you are, actually, to be honest. It is. It is. It's uh, almost uh, 16 degrees today. Last end of... um, yeah, of spring, of summer. Yeah. It's, it's autumnal over here. Like, I think 16 degrees is kind of tropical. Um, <laughs> compared to Manchester standards where I am. Um, so, like I said, you're, you're over at Finn. Um, I keep going to I call it Finn. Is it F-I-N-N or is it Finn? Or how no, it's, it's Finn. Finn, uh, yeah, okay. It's, a, it's, it's actually a, a German name for a person. Oh, really? Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. I think we've got. Do you mean like in like like a name, like a man's name, Finn? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've got that over here as well. I think. Yeah. But I think there's some crazy spellings of it though, over here. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so go on then. Tell us about Finn and um and what it is that you're doing over there. Yeah. So at, at Finn, we offer an all-inclusive car subscription, and uh, the idea is that people can just enjoy kind of a you know a hassle-free car. They just. Uh, most people really want their car to drive around and they don't want to worry about financing and maintenance and tires and all this kind of problems. So what we offer them is a subscription that includes everything but the cost of electricity or petrol, uh, depending on the car that you choose. And uh, what we do on top of this is uh, in case you get a petrol car, we also compensate your CO2 emissions. And so, you know, all of this is included. You just don't have to worry about anything else. So insurance is there, uh, tire changes, brakes, services, MOTs, everything that needs to be done, it's included with your subscription. You just have to add the running cost of, of fuel. Uh, and uh, so I think it's a really interesting uh, uh, kind of opportunity for loads of people that don't really care about maintaining a car and, and so on. Like when I moved here in Germany, uh, I don't speak any German and it was very difficult for me to get an insurance, uh, uh, possibly uh, some financing for a car. And this was a no-brainer to me of just saying, yep, let's let's go. Everything is sorted. I just paid this much a month and everything else is is included. Um, so I think very good service for, for people like me, but also for many other. Yeah, it sounds it. It kind of makes you wonder why it isn't just the norm across the board. <laughs> it's definitely yeah. something that I could use. Like I'm a bit of a nightmare for keeping up with stuff like that and, and MOTs and yep. things. Um, especially if someone like you don't know anything about cars, especially like anything yeah. in the realm of cars can kind of be a little bit intimidating, can't it? So yeah, absolutely. A really yeah. interesting idea. So what tell yeah. me about your role there then? So my role here is uh, I'm a tech lead in a team called operations development. Um, which uh, so we are responsible for the life cycle of a car uh, from an operational point of view. And uh, in, in simple words, this means we order a car from a manufacturer and we have to make sure that we get the car to the customer and then back to us and then to whoever gets the car next. And um, yeah, so we have loads of kind of processes to implement. Some of them are very complex um, and I, f- I see this as like a very, very nice opportunity for us because most of these processes tend to be manual. Some of the tech that is around is a bit old school. 
Um, and, uh, and you know, you can see this as a really good challenge to bridge some of this old tech with the, with more kind of advanced uh, tools that we can use these days to make everything work like very, very smoothly and be slick from a customer point of view. Uh, so yeah, loads of Excel spreadsheets. Uh, but now that we we have we we love to parse them and and process the the content of the files. Uh, so yeah, we we are quite good at that now. Yeah, it sounds it. It's quite a broad quite a broad role, isn't it? Really, I suppose you've got quite a lot of elements to think about there. Like especially if you're overseeing everything as a lead. Um, what you have you always been a lead? Tell me a little bit about how you've got to this point. No, no, I haven't. Uh, so well, so I've started many years ago now. Um, Quite a lot actually uh, and uh, I started uh, when I was in high school with some uh, microcontrollers and writing some C and assembler uh, but it was more for fun than anything else then I would say the the biggest turning point for me was uh, around the time the iPhone came out um, and uh, that was really nice because uh, you know I still find it, at the time at least now it's like you know a commodity but in those days uh, you could write some code and then it would magically show up on the screen and you could touch uh, the code, like the effect of the code that you wrote. And it was like mind blowing. <laughs> um, and that's kind of, and that got me and uh, kind of sucked me in this industry. And uh, and, and I'm still here today. So that, that was uh, definitely positive. Uh, but, um, yeah, I really enjoyed those days. Then um, I, with two friends, we started a startup and uh, and got, uh, we were building a social network for students and uh, we got accepted by an accelerator in Manchester, which is the reason why I moved there years ago. And, um, and it was an amazing learning experience as you might expect, but you know, things didn't work out at the end. And I moved to a, a, a digital agency in Manchester. And then uh, after that, I joined one of the biggest uh, pharmacy chain in the UK, which is based in Manchester. And that was a huge experience, uh, professionally, personally, it was unbelievable. And we were in charge of building a digital version of a pharmacy, basically. So you could uh, have an Amazon-like experience for your medicines. Um, and we were the kind of, you know, the dream of the startup within a large company. Uh, and, and that was exactly what we had for quite a long time. And it was, uh, it was incredible. Um, after that, I joined a, a fintech company in Manchester and uh, for about a year, and then we decided to relocate to Germany, and I've uh, joined Finn, and it's uh, almost a year now that we're here. Almost a year. So were you, is, is Finn your first tech lead sort of role, as, as you know, being involved in the leadership of side of things? No, I started when I was in the pharmacy in the UK. Okay, that's do you um, yeah. do you play much role um in hiring and things like that and maybe structuring the hiring process? Do you have an input on that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So uh, here at Fin Hiring is is well, loads of people involved in hiring, and everyone we have regular like retrospectives and review the process and and try different things, and uh, so yes, I am involved in like saying what what I think we should improve or change and and. And everyone is very positive to drive change and, and get more people through. This is a tough industry, as, as we all know, to hire uh, enough people usually. And uh, so every little things that we can try is a good experiment. Uh, and, uh, and as far as the recruitment process goes, I'm involved in all steps. 
Um, and um, yeah, so I get exposure to all of them. It's something that was really difficult at the beginning. And now I really enjoyed it, actually, because you get to talk to loads of people, different skills. And uh, it's quite an interesting, it's very time consuming, don't get me wrong, um, because you can't just do it in 15 minutes. It takes hours of, of work. But but when you, you know, you're convinced about someone and you hire that person and they show up and deliver, it's like the, the reward that you get is really, really uh, nice. So I really enjoy. That's such a lovely, positive way of looking at it, because sometimes a lot of um, when that kind of subject comes up, some people kind of dive straight into talking about like spotting red flags and candidates and stuff like that. But your instinct is to go towards the lovely bit of hiring where you just kind of put the application, which I really like. Um, you said you're involved in every step of the interview process. That sounds really intense. What does your interview process actually look like? Um, well, I'm mostly involved on the technical side, but sometimes I do the initial and the end as well. Uh, so, so I say we have a four-step process. Uh, the first is a screening, uh, very, very common. And then uh, once we've uh, we decided to move forward one candidate, we have a personal interview. And during the interview, we the goal of the interview is I say on both sides we want to the candidate to get to know about us, what we're doing and what we're looking for, and also to for us to understand a little bit more about what the candidate is after and whether they're aligned with our kind of, from a personal point of view, they're aligned with our values and we can actually deliver on what the candidate is looking for. Um, once the candidate is, well, once we're happy, we move to a technical interview which uh, the goal there is to assess their technical knowledge. And uh, this obviously depends on the role that you're apply you've applied for, the level of seniority and, and so on. Once we're happy with that one too, we move to a final interview, which is um, the goal is to assess if the candidate is a good fit for a specific team and also to get a final check basically uh, before we commit to an offer. And usually in this interview, you get more people from the team involved. Usually the product manager uh, is involved because we're working closely with this person. And so we want to get a different opinion and a different perspective, even what is their product mindset like, for instance, because we are kind of a very high growth only kind of style startup, where if you just look at picking a ticket doing and don't know about what the ticket is what a ticket is about it's probably not the best place so we also want to check how people feel around getting involved with product the business side of things and, and so on so it's good to have a, a person with a different background than an engineer in the in the process and we also have the people's team involved at the beginning which help us with the personal fit um, and then at the end we do have like a a, a fifth a step but i wouldn't call it a step which is the offer call uh, which is the most exciting part of all, uh, is the reward, I would say, at the end. Uh, well, the reward is the signature, but uh, the offer call is a, is a very, uh, you know, it's, it's very nice when we get there and we have a little chat where we present the offer to the candidate. Uh, and that's it. And then uh, day one, and, the, and they show, show up the first day. Yeah, everybody loves getting that call, don't they, when you get enough from here. But you never think yeah. of how, how good it could feel to be on the other end of that, to give someone the opportunity, I suppose, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've just made me kind of jealous of all of my colleagues that are consultants, because I kind of want that. I, 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 don't, I don't get to give people jobs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, want to give, I want that feeling. That sounds wicked. Um, you're obviously super 
um, involved and also positive about your hiring process and how you handle it. Um, mm -hmm. How is your attitude going into it? Obviously, I, I'm, I'm assuming mm -hmm. you've probably interviewed tons of people um, throughout your career. How do you approach like kind of each candidate? Um, do you have like a mindset that you would prefer to get into or do you just kind of go into it with a completely open mind or do you kind of, yeah, how, just talk, talk to me about your attitude when you're approaching, how, you know, your interview uh, process. I'm a generatively positive and optimistic person, I'd say. So I keep that attitude when I go in. I'd say in general it should be a, a positive interview and i'm waiting for the candidate to prove me wrong or right i would say but i would go in with a, a very positive attitude i tend to be very energetic and try and bring the mood up um uh, to make sure that uh, you know i reflect the value of the company i work for and uh, and uh, and yeah so i yeah i try to be like happy positive and and generally, I think it's going to go well. I'm just hoping that they'll they'll kind of prove me right. Really, that's the so I'll see the thing as like the glass is half full uh, rather than half empty. Um, and I also try to be very very transparent. Um, so transparency is one of our core values across the board here, and uh, I try to make that very clear to people that I interview. So that if they ask me questions, I don't. I, I'm not doing a sales pitch. I just giving them my experience here. And as everywhere else, there are loads of things that are good and some things that needs improvement. And I'm very transparent with those. Um, and, and I want people to know exactly what's ahead for them if they were to join, because there's nothing worse than kind of pretending that things are the way they are not. And then on day one, uh, people kind of, uh, you know, like, oh God, this is not, is this what I've signed up for? Uh, that, that must be avoided at all costs for me. Yeah, I love that. I think you can definitely tell that you uh, must would be very good in an interview. I, I think a lot of people must have enjoyed being in interviews with you, I think, because you are. <laughs> like, it's, it's a weird thing to say, but I think um, I can imagine people coming out of an interview, regardless of how it went, feeling pretty pretty happy um, if you were interviewing them. Um, I really love the transparency point. I think it is so important and you do hear these conversations around the office at Amicus for example where people have started a role and they kind of want to back out and they're looking for a new one pretty much straight away because they've mm. almost been blindsided a little bit and sold to the world and now it's you know so it's really refreshing to hear a leader that doesn't want to do that and it wants to be super honest because it sounds like a super obvious thing to want to do but it, it just doesn't always happen there's sometimes maybe that obligation for a company if they're if especially if they're really enthusiastic about a candidate to kind of like you said a sales pitch and make it kind of salesy and want to make them look yeah. good and, and get this person enthusiastic but a lot of the time um the candidate is kind of just really bothered about how they're coming across and it's yeah. I think it's it yeah I just love the transparency point I think that's mm -hmm. really, really that's really <laughs> insightful um so regardless of your positivity um you you must have had some let's say imperfect interviews uh, in your time so what kind of um red flags would would you look for in a candidate uh i'd say from a technical point of view uh this would be like very high level answers for instance lack of depth in in the answer um or 
yeah, so I said this would be the main one from a technical point of view, uh, but but I don't really think that technically is usually where the biggest red flags are. You know, people maybe have applied for a role above their seniority level, and then you can see, okay, that's fair enough. That's not that's not a right fit, um, but they can get there for sure. The main problems that I see sometimes are from a personal point of view. Um, and, uh, you know, following on the transparency and honesty point of view, that is a, um, a big one that you see. And I understand why it's understandable why people sometimes do this of like overselling themselves. But, but then on, on our side, it's easier to, to catch this, this sales pitch. Um, and that's kind of uh, this lack of transparency and honesty is a, a is a bit of a red flag for me. I would very much prefer someone that tells me, I have no clue about what you asked. I just didn't have the opportunity to try this rather than coming up with something um, and, uh, and making it up on the spot. And the and following on this, the other one is uh, people that have no weaknesses. Um, so those are, that is a, is a big red flag, both from a, I think the main, the main thing that this thing raises the question of whether are they aware of their their weaknesses uh, maybe they're not showing them because it's an interview but I, I can't answer the question whether they're aware of them or they just think they're perfect for instance and these 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 things is probably the the one that worries me the most beyond the standard stuff right so the attitude being completely off or uh, arrogance and, and and kind of not the, I would call them like you know the the, the basement for a good uh higher so once those are, are gone then we can have a look at the next one and transparency and honesty is a, is a big one yeah i think like you said with being able to show weakness there is an intelligent way of describing your own weaknesses without just completely kind of because like, <laughs> okay. you don't want to come across as arrogant and pretend you don't have any weaknesses but then you also don't want to come across as self-deprecating in an interview either and so it's kind of finding the balance but I think when when you when someone has a good self-awareness then that that that's quite easily done I think and and it gives off the right impression doesn't it um I would say something that gets me sometimes is people that don't prepare for interviews um and uh you know there are you know if you google the first like the 10 most common questions in interviews are like what are your weaknesses, for instance, and, and and this kind of stuff. When people cannot answer them or they just, you know, just an, no answer, just zero, um, or they very, very much struggle, that is my question is, I appreciate you're doing more than one interview. I'm well aware of this and don't have to prepare, you know, hours, countless hours for this. But, you know, show some uh, uh, appreciation for the, the job that you're and the, the process that you're going through. Uh, so that's maybe it's niche. I don't know, but that's something that I look after sometimes. No, I don't think that's niche at all. I think I think preparing for an interview is probably one of the most basic requirements of doing <laughs> an interview. Um, and then you, I guess people that kind of go into it just assuming that the personality and their experience will get them by is is kind of naive. I would say anyway, it might, might be a bit harsh, but I, 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 I agree. Right, <laughs> I think preparing for an interview. I think. When, again, when I hear the conversations around the office, um, I hear consultants constantly saying to their candidates, like, make sure you prepare, get some questions ready to ask them. Um, and it's all kind of basic stuff. Um, and it's not necessarily specific to tech either. That's kind of any interview across the board. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, you definitely can't just lean on your personality to get you through. Mm-hmm. You've got to yeah. a little bit. Um, <laughs> so you, you touched a tiny bit there on 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 um, a couple of things that you would look for, like the attitude and transparency. Like my next question was going to be, what kind of green flags would you look for in a candidate? Um, is there anything you want? Yeah. To uh, so definitely the the transparency is the opposite of before. Um, I like to see people that are comfortable uh, answering questions about negative things. So. Um, uh, let me give you an example so if I ask you why is this technology good you can read that pretty much whatever you like in the first five Google answers but questions about when is this a wrong use case for this technology or when does this fall apart when is this wrong so in this kind of negative connotations of technologies that's I always like to ask those questions because they I think at least they show more experience than the positive questions. Uh, the answer that you get from them, you can tell whether it came from a book or it came from actual experience. While on the positive side, I find that a little bit more difficult because everyone knows about how good things are, but less people know how bad things could be in some uh, circumstances. So that's what I like to do. And uh, if people answer this well, uh, for me, it's good, it's positive. Um, because it shows they understood the technology, but also uh, cr- they're like self-critical about what they've done in the past, and they can challenge some decisions they made, for instance, or, or they wouldn't do those des- make those decisions again. Um, and the other one is very much related to uh, Finn and the environment we operate in, and is this general I. I kind of hinted at this before, general um, kind of entrepreneurial spirit that people uh, should have. This is a very big plus for us because, uh, as I mentioned, product and engineering works work really, really closely. And you have to be very uh, aware of the domain you operate in and come up with ideas, challenge the product requirements, or, you know, find the sweet spot between a purely engineering-driven world and a purely product-driven world. The solution is usually somewhere in the middle and we would like people to be an active part of this. So if they, if we see that they're capable of this, it's a very good, um, it's not a must have, but it's definitely a nice to have. It's, it's a good uh, green point, let's put it that way. I love your first point about um, when when you were sort of saying that it's, it's, it's just, it's this really good way to kind of almost drag out the real experience that someone actually has with the tools that they're going to be using for the example that you used. Um, And it's quite a creative way as well to see someone's kind of problem sort of managing skills. I guess that's a question because the the way that you phrased it was kind of, it's a question that not a lot of people would necessarily come across. Um, So you can kind of tell, I think, in an interview when someone's kind of a deer in the headlights and they're not really sure what to say and they've not got that experience to back them up with. Yeah. so I think that's a brilliant point. Um, and especially your second point as well that you were saying from your directly the role that you're dealing with at the moment at Finn. Um, and that's what you would look for. I think that's a really they're all really strong points, actually. I think um it's hard to imagine you actually not having a successful interview, to be honest, because I think you sound like you've really got it nailed down over there. <laughs> um, let's dive back into your experience um and your career so far. So I know when we chatted a little bit before the recording, um we're talking about kind of um working in in in-house and, and working um as part of an agency as well um just kind of it's not something that we've necessarily touched on before on the podcast so i'm just kind of interested to kind of 
go into a little bit about the comparison of those two things. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of people listening or watching might might be doing either or or might be considering a switch. Um, so what what kind mm-hmm. of as someone with both experiences, what how do they come yeah. that? Uh, okay, so, well, this is based on what I've gone through, so it might be well wrong, uh, just so you know. But I would say the difference that I've experienced is in a in- in-house team, you build the product for yourself, right? Uh, while in an agency, you build the product for someone else. And with that comes very big differences. So um, when you build it for yourself, you really you have to think about this like longer picture or you are very happy to make compromises because you're very aware of the consequences you're very comfortable because you work very closely with the business which is where the requirements come from all is just around you um on the other side you build things for someone else and uh, and so you become much less attached to what you build or less this would have so i was um and uh, and so you never and if you if you're driven by the product and releasing something and seeing it you and see the product improve over time this is more difficult in general uh, because you might get moved from product to product or product might not last too long or maybe an agency is involved only for the first release of the product and uh, and so this is kind of the big difference is i would say the involvement that you get with the business side or the product side or the the wise behind what you're building on the flip side though if you're working in agencies or like consultancy companies you get to experience much more uh, because uh, you you move from project to project you get to see different stacks different technologies different problems to solve and so you have a much wider diversity of things maybe you go in a bit less deep but but you you get to touch many 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 things, so you can get a very very broad experience, um, which is a you know something that some people might be very keen uh, to get, for instance. Um, and on in in house instead is a bit of the opposite. So you're working with the same code base for a very long time possibly, uh, and so you really have to look after what you have, and you cannot come up wake up a day and say right this new thing is going to you a new stack a new technology, a new whatever, because that's that's not the best decision. Uh, the best decision is is probably to just, you know, keep what you have and making it better for the long term. Um, and so I would say these are the two trade-offs and it, it very much depends on what people like. I like to be very much involved with the product. And so for me, it's a no-brainer which side I, I would pick uh, if I can choose. Um, but, you know, we're so many people and there's 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 one for everyone really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I guess it would depend on the person, then, wouldn't it? In terms of you no. know, you're not saying that one's kind of better than the other. It's just kind of certain people to certain ways of working. Yeah, I like that as well. You kind of you get the yeah, you get the best of both worlds. I, I, I was I was I don't know what I was expecting with an answer from from that question, but I was I was, I, I think there's definitely pros and cons of each. Um, yeah. is by the sounds of it, and that's something that's really interesting. Um, it sounds pretty balanced out in terms of um, like the rest of your experience. I, I guess my next question kind of rolls along the lines of, of your your attitude again, just to kind of jump back into that. Um, in terms of setting standards and principles and standard practices, I guess it kind of ties in with your experience of agency versus in-house um, in that 
you've obviously picked up a lot of skills and learned along the way, like how to set certain standards and you'll have seen different standards and different principles set across different companies. But how do you, as a tech lead now, um, kind of establish principles and standard practices within your team? Yeah, so um, I first of all, I start from the principles um, and the principles should be aligned to some extent, well, to the whole extent probably, to some business goals, right? We, we should have some, I'm talking specifically about engineering principles, for instance, they should allow us or push us in the right direction to deliver things in the right way. Um, and then from that, we have practices, which is just simple and standardized ways of delivering on those principles. And uh, um, I, I can give an example of what we have here uh, in, in you know, as I mentioned, the car industry, performance of servers, not the car, is very, it's almost irrelevant for most of the operations that we do. Um, let me give an example. If I have to register a car and get a license plate, we have to physically ship the license plate from one location to another, which, you know, takes a day maybe. So if we, if we process a registration request in a millisecond or two seconds, that doesn't make any difference whatsoever. But if we lose track of where a car is, that is a bit of a problem uh, because uh, you know a car is an expensive asset and it could be anywhere in our uh, life cycle and we don't know where the car is. So that is a bit of a problem. So this is to say that for what we do, uh, the reliability of the processes and the transparency of the processes is much, much more important than performance. And this is one of the principles that we have, that we have to handle errors very carefully and have a very, very visible system with, um, with ver like we have to have a very visible system. And a way we implement this is that we log events for everything that happens. We have a very extensive login practice, and this allows us to know exactly what happened at any point in time. So then, when we do, we don't lose a car. But when we when something goes wrong, we at the very least can trace it back very easily and can make things work in a in a better way. So. This is how it goes so from the from a business, understand what the kind of where we are operating, the space we're in, then create engineering principles that, that you know are basic engineering good practices and then uh, align them with the business. And then of that, build some practices that people can then see applied in the code base they work with every day. And the idea is that I shouldn't think too much about applying our principles every day because the practices that I use are already delivering on those. Yeah, it sounds very efficient. Um, I think it's it's the amount of logistics involved in 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 the engineering side of of a company like Finn goes, I think, completely unrecognized, or at least definitely <laughs> undervalued. Um, what in terms of what? So, how do you keep those standards consistent then? When it comes to you know, you've got your principles in place and your practices to keep up with the principles, but how do you ensure that your whole team is keeping up to that standard and being efficient? Uh, so, well, everyone has to be bought into them first of all, and I think everyone is uh, by now. And so, we're we when we review each other's code, we detect of like things that are going uh, that are drifting uh, of the kind of the golden path and uh, so we you know it's a team effort to do this well i can be the you know police reviewing practices every day and sometimes we get them wrong and then we refactor and and that's life so there's no 
and there's no problem there. But you know, we do kind of a best effort review and do all these kind of things together. Uh, and well, uh, in terms of uh, changing them, um, I'm probably a bit conservative here. I don't know. Maybe I'm old school already. Uh, but uh, the I think if you change, if you establish some practice and then you start changing them, you end up with just a huge mess. Um, sometimes is I I very much value consistency over the best solution. Um, and so sometimes we might come up with some code that is not as good as it could be, but is at the very least consistent with everything else. And so if someone else shows up, they know exactly where to look for things. They expect to find those things and they find them and then everything is working out. Uh, so maybe we have a bit of overhead sometimes, or sometimes things are not perfect, but at the very least they're consistent. Sometimes though we do need to change things that, you know, as we grow and mature as a team and as our platform grows, uh, things would not work anymore. What works today usually doesn't work in a, a year down the line or even six months down the line. Uh, but I very much like to feel a lot of pain before we commit to a decision. Um, so I'd say, you know, or you spot that that couldn't be, that practice could be improved. And then you say, okay, you keep an eye on it. And then, you know, a, a bit of time later down the line, you're like, okay, this is really bothering me. And you bring up the conversation to, to solve that. And then you commit to solving that all over the place. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I tend to push back on change, um, for this reason. Basically, so I appreciate it could be a, a bit conservative, but I would prefer it rather than a, a, a that every file is a different practice that doesn't help. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I think it's a it, it it's it's almost I think I'm probably someone that operates a little bit how you do as well. It's kind of like it's almost calming to it soothes the nerves to know that there is consistency there and you know you don't because it, it, it like you said it does end up just getting a little bit messy there's too much going on and too much change is happening with the system yeah. especially with, with with the practices that you've already set in place um it sounds like communication and collaboration is really important to your team um how do you kind of encourage um your team members to be super collaborative and, and communicate with each other efficiently um, so I'd say, first of all, I, I try to create a, a flat and equal structure. So there is no kind of levels, I would say. Levels obviously do exist, but uh, uh, the goal is that everyone should feel comfortable, whether it's the intern that has just joined as the first working experience, or whether it's a tech lead or a senior engineer in the team. At any level, people should be comfortable asking any questions that they feel they need to ask. Uh, so that's the kind of baseline. Uh, then obviously people have different responsibility, responsibilities and are accountable for different things. So flat structure doesn't mean anarchy, but it means like, so from my point of view, it means that people can express themselves without fear of being judged, for instance. But you know, if I have to make a decision, I'll make the decision. It's my job to do it and uh, I'll make it. Um, then when it comes to like collaborating and, and communicating, um, we also are a remote team or like partially remote. So some people are spread all over the place. Um, and so uh, this comes with different challenges, obviously, because uh, you don't see people, for instance, every day. Well, we do see them every day, but they're not next to you. And so with that comes the Slack is our main uh, communication tool. 
And what I ask everyone to do is to be as visible as possible. So uh, celebrate little wins. You know, you've been doing something all day. You've achieved something, even if it's not the best feature you've delivered in your life. Do a little screencast, share it with the team, or just uh, put some messages there and kind of get everyone on board with your little successes, which is what you probably would do in the office if you're doing something like, yeah, done this, and you just... You know, without noticing, you've shared it with someone else. But if you're remote, you're just sharing it with your screen, probably, and uh, and no one else around you. So uh, this is, you know, it, it takes a bit of extra effort. But when it happens, it's really, really nice. And also the other one is to try and keep conversations public rather than private. And uh, because, uh, you know, first of all, every, it feels more alive, but also what you're asking may well be of interest to someone else. Um and uh, so that's the, or they might trigger conversations that would in a office environment happen spontaneously as you walk around or you just ask someone and someone overhears you and it's like, hey, uh, oh, I've got something to say there and uh, and this kind of stuff. So this is how we try to, and I think works quite well to keep collaboration and communication uh, to a good level. Yeah, I love that idea of celebrating little wins when you're remote because um, it's a really good point. You, you do just kind of blur out when you've done something in the office yeah. and, and, and that kind of um, – because, you know, you, you can you can say that meetings and things aren't the same through remote versus physical, but it's I think one of the most overlooked aspects of remote versus being in the office is those natural conversations and the instinctive things that you don't even realise that you're doing. Yeah um and they don't often you know they they are missed i think when you're working remotely um i love that i love that i think that, i think it sounds like you're absolutely nailing it over at finn um and it's it's been absolutely lovely listening to you um i think this is probably one of the longer episodes that we've done and it, <laughs> it's been riveting honestly it's been it's been um it's been really fascinating hearing you say um you're obviously you speak a lot of eloquence and confident and and i think it's obviously just because you you just naturally really talented at what you do so i've just got one more thank question. you so much that's all right uh, that's why you say that i'm a really good host no i'm joking <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the last question that i've got for you is um what advice would you have for tech professionals looking to be where you are right now uh i'd say to you know take every opportunity that you get uh you know, don't, don't, I would say, I tend to say yes, and then figure out how to do it. Someone said this, and I kind of said, okay, this is the way. And, and I think this has allowed me to be very much outside of my comfort zone many times. And that's the time where, you know, looking back, you felt most of the pain. But as people say, no pain, no gain, I guess. And uh, so that's where I've kind of grown the most, I would say. So, so definitely, you know, take the opportunities that you get, even if you don't feel comfortable. They'll cause you stress. They'll they'll create some uh, what have I signed up for moments or all this kind of stuff. But when you look back, then you're like, oh, I can see why, like, you know, this that led to this other thing and this led to this other thing. And then finally, that's how um, you get where you are um, today. So, so never be too afraid of saying no and uh, afraid of risk, you know, manage risk. Um, of your like you know professional career um and uh yeah so as i say leave on the boundary of your comfort zone try to get opportunities that keep you there 
uh, not too much out because you'd likely do a bad job because it's way outside of what you can do, um, but not inside because you would feel bored, I guess, or you don't grow as much as you could. But if you're one foot in, one foot out, or you just look at the line from the outside, then it's a much, much better place to be to to grow. And the other one, which I've touched before, is definitely from a personal point of view, is uh, to be transparent and honest. Um, if you can't do something, you if, if your manager or the people you work with trust you and you just tell them, I, I'm not 100% confident doing this, they'll help you. No one will judge you. Or if they do, it's probably not the right place to work. Uh, people don't judge you for your weaknesses. People value people being uh, like transparent in how they feel and what they feel comfortable with and what they need some help with. So I think that being in this this way would help you for more opportunities because it helps loads build trust with people. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, take opportunities and make that happen with some transparency and honesty. I think that's perfect. Brilliant advice, isn't it? I think especially the part where, you know, it, it again, it's, it's such an overlooked thing that when people just don't, they feel the need, especially when starting a new role, they just don't, they feel like they have to kind of have this guard up and prove themselves and they don't want to let that guard down and show weakness and and, and just ask for help. Um, but like you said, it builds trust and it's definitely something um, that's super valuable. Yeah, what, what, what's really amazing advice. Thank you so much for coming on, honestly. I've, um, I've just got to do my little bit of plug-in that I always do at the end of an episode. Um, <laughs> so um, if you're watching on YouTube, you can hover over the logo in the corner and hit subscribe. Follow us on Insta, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn and TikTok for updates. Head to our website, amicusjobs.com for tech news, webinars, more podcast episodes, blogs and everything to keep you happy in terms of Python, Golang, JavaScript and machine learning from all over the globe. Andrea, thank you so much again, honestly. It's been absolutely lovely having you on. Um, probably get you on again, because I feel like we could have probably gone on for another hour. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. It was a pleasure.